Welcome to the Dream for Others podcast. I'm Naomi Arnold, an award-winning business and life passion coach, writer, speaker, and human rights activist. This show features inspiring conversations with those who use their platform, passions, and uniqueness to make a difference in the world. If you are big-hearted, open-minded, a lifelong learner, and are on a mission to help create a better world, this is the podcast for you. Now let's get started and dream for others. Today I am blessed to have actor, musician, director, producer and writer Bethany Joy Lenz on the Dream for Others podcast. Joy, as she is known to her friends, is the founder of the blog Modern Vintage Life and also works philanthropically with numerous global women's rights organisations. I will touch on this in my chat with Joy, but she is one of the reasons why I started this podcast, pursued human rights and became passionate about using our platforms for good. So I'm very excited to have an opportunity to chat with someone who has unknowingly had such a big influence on my life, and I hope in doing so will have an influence on yours too. Hi, Joy. Thank you so much for taking time out to chat with me today on the Dream for Others podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I am really excited. I was leaving out of my seat, actually, when you responded, yes, I haven't told you this, but part of the reason why I started down this whole path into human rights and using your platform for good was because of you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think it was probably, I don't know, it feels like 10 years or so ago now when I stumbled across your work and saw you using your platform and voice to speak up around um, child trafficking and and some of the not-for-profits that you were supporting and that just really ignited a fire within me and and has got me to where I am today. So I was over the moon, um, selfishly excited to be able to ask you questions about what you do and um, for that reason. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. You know, it's always encouraging. We we just sort of plug along in life and it always surprises and amazes me when I hear that, which is very rarely. It's just so nice. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inspiring me. And I, I think that's the thing. We don't always realize, do we, that what we're saying or, or doing is making a difference and, and it often is. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So I'm wondering if to begin, whether you can tell us your story and how you came to be doing what you're doing in in your career and art and life and and how this interest in philanthropy and activism came about. Well, uh, I guess the Reader's Digest version of my life is (laughs) (laughs) I um, grew up in Texas and New Jersey. I was an only child, Um, had a two parents that, uh, really loved me and just had some, you know, struggles that, that kept them pretty occupied as much as they were, uh, attentive to me. It was, you know, I felt like, I think I'll probably a lot of, of only children have that sense of sort of loneliness or longing for, you know, environment where there's just a lot of people and it feels like you belong somewhere. And, um, I, when I got involved with acting, I started doing theater. I was young, I was seven and it just struck a nerve with me that just felt like, Oh, this is a family. I I belong here. And, um, I felt like, and I'm really good at this. I have a knack for this. I, I can, 
I can do this and people seem to enjoy it. And that carried on through middle school and high school. And, um, I just kind of would kept, would, I would continue to get cast in things and kept getting parts. And so, you know, you have that constant confirmation, like someone who is a baseball player and, you know, from a young age, everyone is just telling them, wow, you're really good at this and they keep going and then they get scholarships. And you know, it, it just, you just figure, I guess I am good at this cause it's working. So, uh, I continued on in my career through high school. Um, in fact, my senior year of high school, I was on a soap opera and going to, and living in my own apartment and going to school on my days that I wasn't working, like yeah. driving myself to school. It was just the strangest situation. <laughs> wow. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so I moved to LA and then I got One Tree Hill and that just took me to North Carolina for a while. So it was like, you know, I just kind of was always working on something. Everything just always seemed to be working out career wise for me. Um, and the philanthropy I think came in when I was well into one tree Hill, I probably was four seasons in and it was getting to that point where it, you know, there were the days that felt like a desk job and it wasn't all just an exciting new project all the time. Mm-hmm. And it provided me a really great opportunity to be able to, to branch out into other areas that I was passionate about because, um, the one area that I had always been excited about, which was acting was not so exciting anymore because I had this job that I was, I knew I was showing up for every day and I knew the character really well. And I knew the material and the storylines and it just wasn't like super creatively inspiring in general. It's not that there weren't storylines that were great, but you know, I would say for the most part, I had sort of hit a lull and, um, a friend of mine at the time introduced me to this organization, love one, four, six, and, I obviously had heard about lots of different charities over the years and there were lots of things that I was interested in, but nothing struck me so deeply as how rampant child trafficking is and what it's like little children. I just can't imagine hurting little children. To me, that's the most uh, heinous crime. And, uh, And so when I would think about an organization that was actually rehabilitating these children and what a beautiful thing that would be to have to go through something so traumatic and just, you know, full of death. And then to be able to be resurrected in that way, having, having a, a group of people, a company of people, um, surround you and, and heal, help you heal, and rehabilitate you and, and so that you could go back out into society and contribute and take the thing that, that tortured you and brought you down and use that to helping other people and use that to, um, change the world, which is what a lot of these kids do when they leave. Um, it's just amazing. So I want to be able to help that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I got involved with love one four six and, um, that, is something I still 
care about. And, um, and also equality now was the other one because it sort of led to this being involved with the child trafficking and seeing, you know, it's mostly young girls that are trafficked. And when you start going deeper into that and realizing the root issue of that women are truly just seen as objects in so many parts of the world. And that led me to equality now, which is a group of lawyers that are traveling all over the world and they stay until laws are changed. So they'll go into, you know, Yemen and work on the child bride issue. Um, or uh, they'll go into um, Africa and work on, uh, you know, and maybe in Ethiopia or someplace where there's a law where rape victims have to marry their rapist. And then they work on that until the rapist is held accountable and goes to prison. And sometimes it takes years and years. But um, these are the things that will change the culture socially uh, for mm-hmm. all of us and start making a difference in the issues like trafficking. That was the most long-winded answer anyone's probably ever given you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. You answered um, a couple of the next questions coming up all in one. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's really good. And they're, they're such important and complex and, as you said, issues that you have to uh, be in for the long haul to try and change and can be so heartbreaking when you when you read and see what is happening to these children. I'm wondering, because Love 146 was actually, I think when I was at that meeting point that I was telling you about earlier that started me on this as well because that was when I was first introduced to Love 146 when you were talking about it. Um, So I'm wondering over this period of time where you started to be involved in this work, are there some things that you can tell us, the listeners, that we can do to help progress change when it comes to the issues that Equality Now and Love 146 are working on? Yeah, um, you know, the, the, the big and easy things are money and social awareness. Um, and there's a reason why all these nonprofits are constantly doing fundraisers or organizing events um, to raise money. The, they just, they need it. Um, and what I really appreciate about love one, four, six and equality now is that they, you can track the money, you can go find out what it's being used for. And, you know, they're very interactive. If you call the office and you want to talk to somebody, they will give you information. Um, so those are the, those are sort of the easy things, you know, and any amount is great. If you just get used to sending a check, you know, I like to take 10% out of my paychecks that I get and, and send them to different, you know, places and sometimes more, but you know, that's sort of my personal baseline, um, at this point. And, um, so, but I think that, uh, and then social awareness, so retweeting, Instagramming, and then telling stories, you know, taking time, I get creative. Like what if you wake up in the morning and take 10 minutes to, to browse, you know, inequality now or love one for six, go to the website and read a story about one of the girls that they're helping or one of the cases that the lawyers are working on or need changing. Um, I, I'm a spiritual person. I personally believe prayer is a really powerful thing. Um, I also believe that, that sharing, these stories just in conversation, you know, if you spend that time in the morning, get a little sound bite, a little story that you can take into your being and carry around with you. And if it comes up in conversation, share it with somebody else, because you never know, 
if they need that story, if they need to know how they can help and then they get educated about it. And so um, I think just communicating and money are the two most important things for these these um, organizations that we can do just over here, you know. Yes, definitely. I know that a lot of the people listening as well are are bloggers and people that do have an online presence. So they have a bit of a platform there too to tell those stories outside of their their family and community as well and, and do what you did with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think that, that, that that's so important. You know, I this is one of the things I struggled with with a blog for so long. And I know my website sort of evolved into all these different things, but I kind of just got tired of reading and seeing everything about makeup and fashion and how you look. And, you know, it's just, there was something that I was craving about. Can we also share stories that are meaningful and uh, can it not look like a cheesy website, you know, made by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing on the web, you know, like, like let's really elevate the material um, in these platforms where it's, exciting to go look and aesthetically pleasing and, you know, fun. So, um, yeah, I think for bloggers out there that are making their mark and telling their story and using great, great photos on Instagram, they're creating this perfect aesthetic, you you know, use that, take your audience that has, has been captured and then tell them a story they're not expecting to see from you. Yes, I love that. And so for those who are listening, your website is modernvintagelife.com. That's your blog. And yeah, and so it's an example. I think some people get worried about bringing in some of these controversial or political topics at the time or um, talking about kind of important issues or causes, especially when they're learning themselves and they don't know a lot about them yet, but they can feel a passion and a need to change. And they feel a bit... um, I don't know, like it's not right to write about those things on on a website or a blog that is about something else like makeup or fashion or vintage things, but you can. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. yeah. and I would I, argue you must. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think there's a responsibility if you have a voice. It's not, I Please don't think I'm discounting, you know, the value of entertainment or the value of just, mm. you know, resting or or finding joy in the the little things. Those are wonderful. And we need those things. You know, we would all just be buried in a heap of anxiety and tears if we filled our brains all day long with all the horrible things going on in the world. Yes. <laughs> but um, when there is space, if you can create space amidst all those little things for um, educating people, then do it. Why not? Yes, absolutely. And so you do that through your through your blog and you've also obviously give money, as you said, and you use your voice. I've noticed that you've also used your platform over time with different types of things as well in addition to that. So you've you've through your um, like your music and you've had products and and you've been creative about some of the ways that you've raised money I guess or raised awareness around issues would you mind telling us about some of the what things that you've done so it might spark some ideas for the other creatives out there <laughs> yeah um, 
So a long time ago, I think when I first had the idea to start incorporating products, I mean, had the idea, like I was the first one ever to think of it, not, um, but I did decide to participate in this idea of um, using products to, uh, to don't, you know, use the proceeds to go to charity. So I, you know, when Downton Abbey was first on the air, I remember designing some canvas bags or t-shirts or something that were like, I'm a Sybil, I'm a Mary, you know, um, and then I would send um, the percentage of the proceeds over to PBS. Or I had a bag for Love 146 that was um, like a free bird, you know, bird coming out of a cage that I drew. Um, and so we sent proceeds to Love 146 for that. Um, later on, as I've gotten more involved with uh, Native American issues. I designed just recently for a company called Still Nest. I uh, drew this buffalo, this very abstract buffalo. And uh, so we created a line of jewelry out of that. And uh, there's like earrings and necklace and bracelets. And so percentage of that also goes to the Tonka Fund, who are a uh, an organization that are restoring Buffalo to the natives. So they're buying back land from cattle ranchers and they're, they're training natives on how to ranch uh, with Buffalo and bison and uh, restoring the, the economy in a lot of ways. Uh, that's a whole other, whole other thing, but another thing that I'm really, I really am passionate about. So, uh, yeah, I think just, you know, coming up with these little, these little things that you can make or sell, you know, for people who are doing things on a smaller scale, maybe you could create a line of stationery or you could make some of your own jewelry. And when you sell it on Etsy, just, you know, put, push a percentage of the proceeds off to, um, a charity that you care about. I think people enjoy giving to those things too. Yeah, definitely. Did those um, ideas, like when it comes to the buffalo offering, do they, how do they come about for you? Is there a process or do you just <laughs> sit down to draw and, and an, a concept comes to you? Yeah, honestly, it just hits you sometimes. I was, a still nest approached me. They said, we'd love to do a jewelry line with you. I said, great. I just started painting again after 15 years um, and I kept painting these bison skulls, these buffalo heads. Um, and so that's what was on my mind. And she said, do you want to do some jewelry? And I thought, yeah, actually. And that was the first thing that popped into my mind, probably because I'm surrounded by like five canvases with buffalo heads on them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'll just do that since that's my theme right now. And um, I just started sketching. Um, and it was a wonderful opportunity to just be creative and have somebody turn something that I was creative with into a product. I mean, it's just feels really, I feel really lucky that they chose me to do that. Yeah. That's so, uh, amazing. It sounds like timing aligned perfectly as well. You, it was like it was meant to be. Completely. <laughs> yeah. So I just sketched it out and, and they, uh, they said, okay, great. And sent me back a template of this this thing, they basically just took my design and put it into a 3D printer with gold, and then it came out looking like this amazing necklace. I, you know, it's, you know, they had to engineer it a little bit, but it was it's great. Mm. 
I'll include the link um, to, to your store on that as well in the show notes because they're really beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm really proud of them. Yeah, they're amazing. What a creative. I, I think I have a shirt maybe that I think was of the, um, the bird coming out of the cage as well from one of the previous creative <laughs> things that you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love I haven't gone back to look at that in a while. You know, that's sort of my, one of my downfalls as a creative person is I'm, I really don't know how to delegate. <laughs> so I will like hire assistants and then I don't know how to tell them what to do because it's like, I need somebody inside my brain. So like I, if I could download my brain onto a hard drive and then have somebody sort out what needs to be <laughs> done by someone else. Um, so I'll end up starting these projects and then they go for a while and then I, you know, have other things and I, I end up like, I haven't looked at that website in forever to see if there's been any more sales. I mean, legitimately, it's probably been four years since I've looked at that website. <laughs> more sales. So there might be like a whole stockpile of sales, like waiting, to <laughs> you know, like I have, no, I have to go look. It's been a while. No one's hunting you down yet. <laughs> No, no, I mean, yeah, it's like I've sent, well, I sent the first couple of years I had it going and I was like sending all these, you know, it was like, we'd get the, we'd get the, uh, transcript of the sales and then I'd, you know, cut the check to the charities and stuff. But I think once sales kind of like started dwindling and I was moving on to other things, it just seemed like, okay, it's going away. We'll do something else now, but I'm glad you reminded me. I'll go check. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's a huge chunk of money for PBS. And <laughs> That would be a nice surprise. <laughs> I'm a one woman show. I need help now. I know. I'm business coach me. <laughs> well, I don't know. How do, how do you do all that? <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, you've got family as well. So that's a lot of balls yeah. you've got up in the air. So it sounds like maybe that's how you survive. You go by what's um, creatively lighting you up or what's what's working at the moment because you can't do everything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you just need a, if anyone's listening and you're an amazing assistant and you can somehow oh, read yeah. minds. <laughs> <laughs> just come like live with me for four weeks. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything that you've learned through all of this, um, all those different ways that you've been giving back and, and raising money? Was there anything that you learned that didn't work so well that you wouldn't? waste your brain power and time on again? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I've learned to slow down. I have learned to slow down. Um, I've learned that exactly what you're saying. I can't do everything. And um, you have to learn how to say no because you say yes to too many things and then, you know, you've got all these commitments and you end up half-assing some of your commitments, which is not fair to the other person or to you. Um, so, that just on a personal level, I think was like the, the biggest lesson I've learned. Um, and it's helped my life tremendously. I'm so much happier now that I'm not full of anxiety all the time about all the things I have to get done. <laughs> um, but in terms of, uh, like ideas and things that didn't really work, um, you know, it's hard to say because, a lot of it has to do with timing. Sometimes it's, but sometimes it's also the people that you choose. I think I could, I, I've learned how to vet people a little better. I haven't been the best judge of character in the past. And, um, it's taught me how to be a lot more guarded, but like still how to be open and loving, but, but 
that it's possible to be open and loving and believe the best in people while also being guarded and protecting yourself and your assets and your, you know, what you, what you hold in your space, being able to protect that from just the wrong kind of people. And there's so many people out there that are, you know, have their hand up, like, let me help, let me be a part of it. And you really have to be discerning, which can take a while to learn. Yes, it's one of those things you seem to not learn um, unless it's the hard way. (laughs) It's true. I mean, I don't know anybody that hasn't learned that the hard way. Mm. Especially when you do want to help and there are about things that you're so passionate about. And I imagine when you have a you know, a high profile like you do, that it must, it must be difficult to be having to think, hold those two thoughts in mind all the time, being open and, and generous and whilst also being cautious and um, protecting. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's a goal of mine to be able to maintain uh, that openness and joy and positivity while also being discerning and wise. Um, and it's something I seek out because I actually know a lot of people, um, especially in my industry who have been hurt or burnt. Um, so just like one too many times and they, they just sort of close off. It's really hard to, to, um, get in there or, you know, even to, for them to make friends or to trust people. They're just sort of always, Uh, You're just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And um, I know what that feels like. And Mm. it's hard, but I, it's really a personal goal of mine to not live in that space. Cause I, I I would, I think I'd rather get hurt and bounce back because I know I can heal. I've been through enough in my life to see that I'm capable of healing Um, and, you know, have the possibility of like something actually being amazing and really working out and, and being transformative than being clo- too closed off to ever um, experience something that um, could be great, but you, you don't want to take the chance because you might get hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. So the best outcome could be like really exciting. And, you know, if the worst outcome happens, there's evidence that you can get through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> that's a big thought to leave with people to settle in (laughs) I know it's okay too but it's true I mean you know I I've figured out I've I've got a a pretty solid um I hope pretty solid footing in my spiritual life and you know I was the second you say everything's really solid then you're always like oh I should be more um but uh, You know, um, so I feel like I've, I've got enough experience with, with the healing process that I've, I'd really trust that God's looking out for me and, you know, things work out. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. I was reading in an article recently where you mentioned that you personally feel more connected to yourself um, and to God when you are fully being you and doing what you feel you're meant to do. What does yeah. that, yeah, what does that look like for you I imagine that's something that that shifts and and evolves um but what does does. yeah what does that relationship or fully being you and doing what you're meant to do and connecting with yourself and God kind of look like if you don't mind sharing it's a real personal question no I don't mind at all um you know it looks like it's scary. I mean, it looks like not having too many rules and restrictions because then you're not flowing in the sort of 
what I call flowing in the spirit of things. Um, you know, it also looks like I pray a lot for grace and, uh, humility because, um, I know how easy it is to just start to feel like I can handle everything on my own and feel, you know, life's good. I'm confident. Everything's going great. I'm handling it. It's all great. And then, Oh God, I haven't prayed in like two weeks. So I know, you know, like mm-hmm. suddenly I need some, you know, I don't want to wait till things get bad before I spend time and reach out spiritually. Um, it looks like having really close friends that I trust and that I, um, that I go to when I need advice or, you know, confirmation on something I feel like I'm hearing or feeling in my spirit about a decision I have to make or, uh, just some life stuff. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I grew up Christian, but I've had so many bad experiences with church. I don't really go anymore. <laughs> I've, I, uh, I visit some, I have a few that I really like and I really, there's some pastors and people, I spiritual, um, I don't know, gurus that I listen to on the, you know, computer on my iPod or whatever. Um, so I have a good balance of things that I like to go to as sort of that spiritual food. Um, but honestly, I think the the most basic thing is that there's a verse in the Bible. Actually, my dad just texted it to me earlier. I think it's in Thessalonians. And um, he said, it said something about praying ceaselessly. And I really do try and live in that place in my spirit where no matter what's going on, there's always that extra space that's open for hearing that still small voice to give me direction or um you know, some people call it their conscience. Uh, I don't know how much of it's conditioning, how much of it is your environment or um, truly something that's coming from a, a supernatural source. But um, for me, I, I'm very connected to my body and I feel things differently when they're coming from different places generally. And that relationship with Christ and my relationship with God, um, really guide me on a day-to-day basis. And I'm sorry, I know I'm talking a lot, but, uh, the last thing I have to say about this is, um, I'm soaking it all up (laughs) is, um, that it, again, which is the first thing I said is that it's scary. And it, I think it should be, I think it should be where you're stepping out constantly in a place of, ah, I don't know if this is going to work, but I have to try because when, when you settle into this set of rules and if I do a, B and C, then I know I'm safe. I know spiritually, like I'm safe or God thinks I'm good. Or like, this is the right thing to do. Quote unquote that's when you lose the connection. That's when I lose the connection with God. And I start relying on my ability to accomplish these A, B, and C like sets of rules. So it's this, like, you got to walk this tightrope of, you know, trying to do the right thing, but also being willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to. And having that trust by the sounds of it, that, yeah, that you'll be okay. And that you, you, that God's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Vulnerability is not, uh, that's no joke. Like that's not an easy thing at no, all. No. In my, 
<laughs> Do you find that I was just thinking while you were talking and and saying some of those ways that you do connect to your spirituality and how it does impact on your life have you found that it's it's helped you in moments where you are hurting and where you do have that despair or when you look around the world and see what is happening I know in America at the moment that um, yeah wow so does your does your I guess faith and trust in God and that spiritual life that you have does it help you and somehow somehow keep showing up when all of that chaos and and hurt is happening around around you it does help me mm-hmm. um i've i've have what my experience is that um the f- fear creates anxiety or maybe it's the other way around i don't know but fear and anxiety both create chaos and confusion and then the confusion keeps you from getting anything done and having any peace whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And um, it, the cumulative life experience that I've had with God of constantly making mistakes and seeing how they get used for something good, um, how you know my bad choices end up getting turned around into something more amazing than I could ever have imagined, how um, when I fall down or get hurt in different areas in my life, how I'm, whether someone wrongs me and I just have to find a way to forgive and heal or whether I make a huge mistake and hurt someone else and I have to ask for forgiveness and grace. Um, I have seen the consistent sovereignty in my perspective, uh, of God and how there is always, everything is always used for something good. If we give God the space to turn it into something good, right? Like what's that saying? Um, it's, uh, you know, they said it in uh, the best exotic marigold hotel, right? It was so cute. He said, uh, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, but it's, I think it's really true. And, and, um, I don't believe in resignation. I don't believe it's okay to just say, Oh, Hey, God's in control. God's got a plan. Like everybody just relax. You yeah. know, I think that's total bullshit, <laughs> but, but I do, I do, um, actually do believe that God's in control and has a plan, but we are meant to participate in that, in in my opinion, and um, that we are, uh, have the opportunity to participate in that through our passion and our prayer and our callings and the things that we do that we love, you know, that we ask God to bless and um, using my faith and applying that toward when I, my heart hurt so much for like the immigration situation right now. I mean, my God, (laughs) it's just heartbreaking. Um, and, and, um, women who've been hurt by men in powerful positions and, um, minorities who've been hurt, uh, people who are just trying to mind their own business and they end up getting, you know, shot for trying to go to the grocery store. You know, it's just like, there's so much in the world that's awful, but, um, believing that there is uh, a much, much bigger picture that we can't see 
I, I have enough in my own life experience to back that that belief up for me. Is that a really long answer? I feel like I'm giving you the longest answers ever. Sorry. <laughs> I'm loving them. <laughs> yeah, it's all really resonating with me. And I was I was reading a quote recently after another podcast interview, actually, Julian Burnside, he's a lawyer and a refugee advocate here in Australia. And he shared a quote off air. And I wish I had it right here with me, but I think it was from Benjamin Franklin. It was something along the lines of if you know, things won't change until the unaffected start to do something for the affected. And yeah. it just really spoke to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I believe and that's why I think it's so important. And, you know, I, ironically, um, because I grew up in that sort of uh, middle America, evangelical, very white world. Um, and what I see is a lot of those people, cause you know, there's this huge mystery. Why did 60 year old women, you know, 50 and 60 year old women all vote for Trump? What's like, how is that possible? What happened? I was watching Bill Maher the other night talking with Jane Fonda and they were like, it's the greatest mystery ever. It's mm-hmm. not the greatest mystery ever. They're all evangelical Christians mm-hmm. and they all, you know, uh, look, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get all crazy, but, <laughs> but from, you know, my experience growing up in that environment, there is a resignation there that, um, in general, in a lot of those church cultures that just sort of says, hey, God's in control and let's pray for them. And, you know, yeah, we'll send out missionaries, but it really is this like underlying lack of empathy or like not really understanding what is going on or, or fear of of asking um fear of really approaching the subject and, and letting yourself open up to the hurting groups of people that are not you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's this a resignation and, and I totally agree with that quote because that's the group of people that have to wake up, that have to awaken. And that's why we're just that. I mean, my God, my Facebook, like so I need to give my Facebook password to a best friend of mine and just be like, change it. Cause I can't, you know, I have to not get on Facebook right now. I lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm seeing all of this resignation uh, and just like, you know, let's give him a chance and, uh, you know, God's in control. It's all going to be okay. And yes, we have to give him a chance. We have no choice. Yes. God is in control and it's going to be okay. But oh my God, care. care. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do something <laughs> for it to be okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, oh, the passion in your voice. Maybe your next, you should be, um, <laughs> evolving some of those fundamentalist churches or even any of those the the um I'll give you that's a big challenge for you <laughs> taking on the industry the church industry yeah. Yeah, well especially because I have a total fear of public speaking that would be a huge uh tall order for me <laughs> isn't that so do I actually I that's a um that's a fear I'm trying to overcome at the moment is of public speaking. And I read that so many actors and singers have a fear of public speaking, which a lot of people find mind boggling, but it's, they're very different. Yeah, it's very, very different. It's not mind boggling at all. If I'm talking to a camera, I have lines. If I'm on a stage in a theater, I have lines that have been written out for me, but you strip my lines away and the, and the, uh, you know, intention of the scene or, you know, yeah. 
I mean, then I'm just, if it's a one-on-one like you and I are having, even though it will be broadcast for millions or whoever, hundreds of thousands or however many people want to see it, but, um, you know, or thousands or whatever, but uh, people that want to, that want to listen, that's fine. But, um, just standing in front of a room full of people staring at you expectantly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was at an event recently that it helped me was, um, it was a coaching event, the beautiful you coaching Academy. And it was Kate Jane. She was a coach. And she said that when you feel like that, when you're okay talking to somebody one-on-one, but when you're in a room and, and they're all staring at you and you're feeling overwhelmed, she's like, you just, you try to reconnect back to that feeling of talking to someone one-on-one and you just remember that there are lots of one-on-ones and you just focus on one at a time and connect with them and talk to them as you would one person. And I found that so helpful and it was great timing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, pretend they're each one camera. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other, there's a couple of questions if we have time I still wanted to ask. And one was around the fact that you seem to me anyway to be a real Renaissance woman. So you have so many different passions and talents and, and gifts. And I know that lots of people who are like that find it really confusing not knowing what to focus on or what direction to go on, go, uh, and what, you know, if they want to champion a cause but they're passionate about so many different ones, which one to start on. I'm curious, it sounds like to you uh, you've, you've, it's naturally kind of evolved a bit over time and by listening and circumstance. Um, but I'm curious, is that really the case or have you felt some turmoil there choosing directions ever and how did you go about that? huge problem for me. Mm. Uh, I completely, it's been the sort of thorn and one of the thorns in my side for many years that, um, and in fact, uh, probably one of the reasons why my, uh, I feel like I've had such a hard time nailing down what I want to do, like what I, what I enjoy doing the most. Um, and I've always said musical theater because it just combines all of it and, you know, in one shot. Um, but somehow I, I ended up doing this TV film stuff instead, um, which I love. But, uh, yeah, I, I find when I and then I like, oh, I paint and I'm OK, I'm designing jewelry now. And, oh, I guess there's a stationary line coming out, too. Great. Oh, and I also am raising a child that takes a lot of creativity. And also, you know, I'm trying to keep my house clean in a way, you know, the organization and then and then also trying to uh pursue my acting career and, and write. I have projects that I'm writing and then songs and I'm out on tour with my band. And I, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, and I'm literally sitting here with my head in my hands right now because it's so overwhelming just thinking about all this stuff. Um, it's a huge problem. I, I, um, as I said earlier, just recently, I'm accepting this idea that I have to slow down and I have to pick one thing at a time. So last summer I decided, okay, if I were like imagining where I wanted to be in my career and then thinking what in my life would that I have in my life right now would prohibit me from being able to be totally free and enjoy 
that phase of my career, if that's where it's headed, what do I have right now that I need to tie up loose ends or get rid of or reorganize um, so that I can be prepared for what's coming instead of just flailing around all the time and not being prepared when the kind of opportunities you want present themselves and you're like up shit's Creek. So I started doing that and cleaning out things and, and tying up a lot of projects, whether it was completing them, whether it was deciding to shut them down and just put it on a shelf, calling people and saying, listen, I thought we were going to be able to get this done, but we can't, I cannot focus on this the way I need to. And I'm sorry. Um, and just really cleaning my slate. And it's been great because I started this year and I've got no projects except acting that I'm getting hired to do, press for the previous work I just did, which I already was going to have to do anyway, and one creative project that I'm writing. And that's it. So I don't have like 25 things taking up my time. And I think... That's a lesson that if creative people can learn early, even earlier on than I did, I mean, learn it early if you can. Just pick one thing at a time. And I know you have a million things screaming at you, but just give one thing a couple of months and see how far, how much further you get by completing one project at a time. Yes. And then when lots of things sneak up on you and you find yourself back in that place where you're juggling too many balls, as you said earlier, you can say no after you've said yes like you can change your mind you have that right yeah you do and it sometimes it sucks and you know sometimes people's feelings get hurt or they get offended you know in a really bad situation somebody really might not understand but you do have to weigh out you know the the how much energy will it take is it in alignment with your present focus is the financial benefit worth it for you and you know, what's the, what's the long-term goal? You've got to be working toward a bigger picture mm-hmm. and you have to be willing to say no. Mm-hmm. Look at that. You've just wrapped up a whole heap of <laughs> beautiful pointers of guidance. What do you, you would probably advise people on this stuff all the time. What, what do you say? You pretty much just said it. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those people as well. I'm always juggling a million different things. And um, I think we all have a different capacity, obviously, for how much we can juggle. And you need to be getting in tune with that, of what it is. But I find that sometimes we just, as you were kind of saying before, we juggle so many different things that we don't all have to do at once. We can focus on, you know, those those that core thing that is going to take you toward that bigger picture plan or that central mission that you have and and you'll get it done quicker and then you can move on to the next thing that's right that's right and and also you get you get a sense of accomplishment which is so much more valuable than I ever understood that it was I spent most of my 20s feeling like I was failing constantly because I would start projects and never finish them yeah and it wasn't until I really just started completing things, even if it was just the dumbest thing, but just get it done, <laughs> yeah. get it done. And then you suddenly feel like, oh, I, I can accomplish something. And the next thing doesn't quite feel so daunting. And that's how these, you know, 26 year old CEOs of multi-million dollar companies get there because, and they have that confidence. And you're like, where do you get the balls to feel like you could just walk into a room and take charge and take care of situations like that when you're so young? It's because they complete things 
they figure out how to complete things early and they build that sense of confidence. Like, no, I do know how to complete stuff. Move out of the way. Let me do it. Yeah. They see the evidence that we were talking about earlier. They see the evidence they can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Track records go a long way in every area. Mm -hmm. And we can do it too. We've, we've seen evidence of that. We just need reminding you right now and again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we finish up, I'm wondering, is there is there anyone or anything or, or maybe it's the organisations and the groups that we've spoken about already, is there anything where you draw inspiration from and perhaps it's the conversation we had around um, your spirituality as well, but is there anywhere where you draw inspiration from that helps you continue with your dreams for others and with giving back and with advocacy work and the philanthropy work that you do uh, that helps you be more informed about the current issues that are going on around when there's facts and alternative facts and and (laughs) and all types of things out there. Um, Is there any pointers you can give there so that the audience can um, maybe look into some of those things too? Sure. Um, Yes, on a broad level, prayer, my spirituality, my relationship with God absolutely is the this guiding force that um, helps me make decisions um, on a on a practical, tangible level. Um, I shouldn't say practical. I think spirituality is very practical, actually. But um, on a tangible level, that you can type in on your computer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I well, actually, go to uh, your local bookstore and get Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Yes. <laughs> that book is outrageous for anybody, especially creative people who feel overwhelmed. Yes. Um, but also for understanding what inspiration is, where it comes from, how to harness it, when to say no, don't let it go. You know, those things are all really helpful. Yes. The other things that I do, I actually there's um three speakers that I listen to a lot that um I think are really wise and have a lot of um, motivation and um, direction. And it's, uh, I go to onechurchla.org, O-N-E, churchla.org. And um, I love Stephanie Ike. She's a pastor there. And Toure Roberts is the head pastor there. And um, they both have all their like sermons are online. And I think both of them are incredibly great, wonderful, skilled. Um, Tim Keller is at Redeemer Presbyterian in, in Manhattan and I love him. And then I am like, I have to say begrudgingly, uh, a Joel Osteen fan <laughs> because I'm such an East coast New Yorker. And I was like, this guy with his Southern optimism, man, like I am so over this. No way. And then I started listening to his sermons and I was like, Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally love Joel Osteen and I think he's great. Um, uh, so those, that's where I go sometimes when I just need a little boost of encouragement or, a um, kick in the kick in the ass of like, Hey, you can do it. Come on. <laughs> um, there is a purpose. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think the, those resources are great. And, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic is great. And then really do go take a look at, um, the Tonka Fund, the uh, Love 146, and Equality Now are all organizations that I really care about and, and I think are doing great things in the world. And, you know, maybe some, some of your audience will resonate with what they're doing and will want to participate. 
definitely. I'll put the links for all of those um, groups and resources in the show notes. And before we finish, is there anything that what's next for you? What's what's happening next? How can we support you? Um, is it through doing um, checking out those links we've already talked about, or is there yeah? What are you doing that we can support? <laughs> Sure. Um, well, um, the Buffalo offering, as you said, you'll post that link. So that's the jewelry line and, uh, 10% of that, those sales go to the Tonka fund. Um, and, uh, the, let's see. Um, I just finished shooting a show called colony and it's airing, but my episodes begin next Thursday. Um, and they'll run for the rest of the season. So that's exciting. Um, my film that I shot last summer is coming out in uh, March, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, so I think that's um, it's called Extortion. And it's a, uh, with Lionsgate. So we'll hear more about that soon. And uh, I have two, a short film for a web series called Nasty Habits that I directed. And that'll come out probably within the next couple within the next month, maybe six weeks. And then I also was in, I was cast in a short film for indigenous media, uh, project her called good eggs. And, um, so I've just been keeping busy, (laughs) you know, just little things here and there. And, uh, as soon as the next thing is, um, is actually in, in motion, uh, where I'm on set, then I can start letting you guys know what else is happening so I have to keep you posted yeah that would be great that's fantastic you're never bored (laughs) never oh never what's that (laughs) bored I long for the days when I was bored (laughs) yeah I don't remember what that was like either yeah (laughs) Well, well thank you thank you so much for chatting with me today it's been amazing to connect with someone who's had such a big influence on my life and on my career direction and you've given us so much to um, ponder on and absorb and reflect on and and take action on so thank you a million thank yous thank you I'm so grateful to be able to talk with you Naomi and and your audience and I really had no idea that um of the, the, that connection from so long ago. And I'm really grateful to have, to see that coming full circle. It's amazing. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for listening to the dream for others podcast. If you want to connect with like-minded people who are passionate about using their platform passions and uniqueness for social good, head on over to Facebook and search for our private group called the dream for others community. For episode notes, further inspiration, and access to my award-nominated free resources, please visit naomiarnold.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate if you'd please subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, and share it wide and far. Let's continue to dream for others, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.